जय गोपी जन जय गिरीवरधारी जय गिरीवरधारी जय
Hare Krishna. So we are continuing the discussion on ideal family life. Um, this is a conversation happening between Narad Muni and Yudhishthir Maharaj. So Narad Muni has finished describing the whole pastime of Narsimha Dev and Hiranyakashipu. And now Yudhishthir Maharaj is further asking him questions about how can one achieve perfection in spiritual life. And that is what we are seeing over here. Narad Muni is giving beautiful instructions on the ideal Grahastha life and what Grahastha should be doing. In fact, when we, I remember when we studied this canto and this particular section with Keshav Prabhu, um, he had stressed very much that you know, like the couples, householder couples attend the classes together and understand the tenets of a uh, Grahastha life. Now we see in various places Srila Prabhupada actually stresses the importance of Grahastha life. And Prabhupada says that in Kalyuga actually if we see, most of the uh, people, the population is Grahasthas. And now in ISKCON also we see, like earlier days of ISKCON when Srila Prabhupada had just established ISKCON in the late 1960s and 70s, most of the devotees who used to come to the temple were all brahmacharis or they were sannyasis. There were very few grahasthas who were attached to the Krishna consciousness movement, who were practicing nicely. But later on we've seen this shift slowly happen and even within our society today, we see majority of the society is made up of grahasthas. Like brahmacharis are a less smaller population, but most of them are grahasthas who are actually practicing Krishna consciousness and advancing, trying to advance in spiritual life. So Prabhupada says in many places, and it is said in the scriptures as well, that grahastha ashram is actually a very safe ashram to progress in spiritual life, especially in the age of Kalyuga. But we see over here, Prabhupada is saying that only one-fourth of the population should be grahasthas, the rest should be brahmacharis, vanaprasthas and sannyasis. But that is not happening. In fact, we see like, you know, Prabhupada says the first 25 years of life should be spent by a man specially in getting trained in brahmachari life. And then he should make a choice whether he wants to join the grahastha ashram or continue as a brahmachari. But nowadays the training is not there. Like Prabhupada is saying, in Kali Yuga everything is so ugra, so, so fallen and degraded. Like in the first 25 years of life, the maximum sense gratification is done by today's population. And we are talking about this, you know, Grahastha Ashram and how in the Grahastha Ashram one should become ideal householders trying to advance in Krishna consciousness and not spend too much of time and energy in, you know, the three, uh, three varga, in the sense gratification, economic development <coughs> and dharma in, you know, religiosity. But we see that even then, this Grahastha Ashram is also becoming very rare. Prabhupada says one-fourth of the population should be grahasthas, but even that is becoming rare. Now most, most of the devotees attached here are from Indian background and we see in Indian, India generally people believe in the institution of marriage and they do get married. But if we see in the western world, most of the people are not married. They have children outside of marriage, they are partners, they live together like in my office. Most of my office colleagues are not even married but they, are, they have a partner, they have children and all. And after, <coughs> and after that, uh, sometimes they, you know, decide to get married with their children also there who are, you know, throwing flowers when their uh, husband and wife, the mother and father are walking down the, the, the church aisle or wherever they are getting married. So, this is the situation now and that is also glorious if they will get married, otherwise most of them don't get married. They are partners for some time, they have children and then they are separated. 
like just yesterday morning i was having a chat with my manager and um, on sunday like you know everyone was working because it was close of enrollment date for at my university and he was saying oh i have the kids with me this this weekend and i had to go early morning to drop them off at school every second weekend they come to me and there's lots of bags they have to carry because they bring their toys and whatever sporting activities they do over the weekend and i was thinking like you know they shuttle between the two houses and i was thinking this is the fate of most of the children in western countries where their parents are separated parents you know mother is somewhere father is somewhere and they are just shuttling between the two houses and the parents are sometimes fighting no you take care you take care of the child i'm busy so we see even this grahastha ashram which prabhupad is talking about is actually not present the institution of marriage itself is breaking down and prabhupad says that grahastha ashram is a safe ashram but it has to be used for spiritual progress otherwise we'll just be grahametis who are just steeped in sense enjoyment so it is a necessary ashram because prabhupad like he describes over here that sex life is a um, is a necessary sense gratification that men and animals have the tendency to engage in because of their material propensities uh, propensities but it should be regulated within the grahastha ashram and that is what this grahastha ashram that is why it's called a safe platform so that there is no unregulated sense gratification like we see so much prevalent to, in today's society where anybody is with anybody they are partners after that they are with somebody else they are not even with that partner whom they were anyway not married to so we see it is completely chaos in terms of sense unregulated sense gratification and therefore prabhupad says this grahastha ashram will keep you within that safety and the woman actually is you know meant to control the husband from falling down to lower levels of sense gratification now prabhupad often uses the example in uh, his various purports like if somebody is traveling let's say we are traveling to sydney and you know somebody is going by car they've not taken a flight now there are very few people who can actually make it straight to sydney when they are driving because it might be 8 9 hours of drive driver whatever and they can you know very rarely few people can make it straight so people who can make it straight they are actually the brahmacharis so they haven't deviated they haven't taken any exits but they are straight after 25 years of brahmacharya they've decided that yes this is the ashram i want to continue and they actually continue in that ashram but if you see most people who are traveling to sydney they would like to take exits and sometimes you know when they take an exit for resting or for you know relaxing eating food or whatever or even shopping they get so engrossed over there that they forget that their goal was to reach sydney and sometimes you know they might even buy a property and settle down in that exit itself or they spend considering considerable years shopping this that and then they realize oh i had to go to sydney and then they come back on track so these exits you know these exits are allowed which is like the grahastha ashram but we have to remember to then come back do a you know whatever sense gratification regulated sense gratification is allowed but then come back on track and remember the goal is to reach sydney which is to you know go back to godhead so the goal is advancing in spiritual life not all these exits which are coming on the way and like forgetting about the goal of krishna consciousness and that is what we see prabhupad talking about over here In fact, you know, it's a, it is said in the Bhagavatam Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayajita Janayati Asu Vairagam Gyanam Chaya Dhaayitrukam. So, whichever ashram you are in, Prabhupada says you have to progress in your spiritual life, and one should not, one need not worry too much about oh, how do I curb this sense gratification? Because if we take to the path of bhakti, Gyanam Chaya Dhaayitrukam, automatically one will get renunciation and knowledge. one will be able to get that knowledge required to progress and then one will be able to get that renunciation just by following the path of bhakti 
the, we are currently studying in uh, Chaitanya Charitramrita where there is a conversation happening, the Madhya Leela, where there is a conversation happening between Gopinath Acharya and Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. Now Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has just come to Jagannath Puri Dham and you know he did the Kirtan and now Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya has become very protective towards Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he is actually saying, because Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya was a great Vedic scholar, so he is saying that I will train this person because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a sannyasi. So I will train this person like he's, he seems to be very sentimental and emotional. I will train him on the path of renunciation and all. And that time actually Gopinath Acharya is giving instructions. Very beautiful instructions. That's what we are studying right now. Where he is actually saying that someone who is on the path of bhakti need not endeavor separately for renunciation or stopping sense gratification or anything else or, or even knowledge which Sarvabhama Bhattacharya wanted to impart to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He said automatically they are recipients of all these things. So that is what we see Srila Prabhupada also uh, stressing over here. Whichever ashram you are in. We know the famous uh, prayer, Grihethako Vanathako Sadahari Boledako. Whether you are a Grahastar or a Vanaprastha Sanyasi or Brahmachari, the main aim is to practice Krishna consciousness and not waste human form of life in this sense gratification. In fact, Prabhupada further talks over here about you know the type of activities that grahasthas can engage in and especially brahmana grahasthas so you know within iskon when we have the grahastha society we are meant to follow this instruction of Srila Prabhupada of you know following the life of a brahmana grahastha where the brahmana grahastha is actually engaged in either learning the scriptures himself or teaching the scriptures and he is engaged in worshipping the supreme personality of Godhead or teaching others how to worship the supreme lord or Prabhupada even goes on to see even the demigods like he is teaching others at least to go on the Vedic path, you know, follow the demigods maybe and then from there progress to worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So these are the activities usually Brahman Grahastas should engage themselves in and they can get some remuneration for that. They can take remuneration for doing yagyas, for, you know, going and doing any other ceremonies in people houses, any samskaras they perform for the Grahastas, they can take some remuneration for that. But you know this Prabhupada has written in the 1970s this purport where he is saying but everybody in Kalyuga, the Grahastha especially are engaged in Ugra Karma which is technological advancement. Now if Prabhupada would have been writing that purport in 2024, he would have been just flabbergasted at the technological advancement and the investment of energy of the whole human society in this technological advancement. In many places Prabhupada says that you know these nuts and bowls and these factories are not going to fill the stomach. It is agriculture, cultivation of farm, uh, you know, farmlands, cultivation of fruits, vegetables, that is going to fill the stomach. But if we see nowadays the cost of technology is going down and down and down and the cost of foodstuffs is going up and up and up. <clears throat> Everything, if you go to the grocery stores like Woolworths or Coles, cheese which used to be $7 or something, even Coles brand cheese and all has gone, gone up so much in price suddenly. So we see always these prices are going up, but technology prices are going down. Like once upon a time there used to be MP3 players and one MP3 player would cost $100. I remember we used to use that player, we used to load all lectures and uh, kirtans and all and listen to it. But now it has completely been wiped out and everything is all in one in the phone. And yeah, like if you don't go for big brands like iPhone and all, you get phones so cheap. Nowadays all these smartphones which have all this camera come, you know, listening to Kirtan's uh, uh, lectures, everything. So, you see because of the, everyone engaged in this technological advancement, the price of technology is going down. But Prabhupada is saying that that is actually Ugra Karma. And that is what is causing agitation in people's minds in Kalyuga. 
and we know like how much people are agitated how much people are in anxiety stress depression like in our office we always have to keep doing these well-being checks you know that is a requirement of hr are you or, or you know our managers like they train all the other managers to you you have to do these well-being checks with your employees and if anyone is stressed or something like that we have to allow them that leave you know do somebody else will have to do the work but they have to be allowed that leave if they are on, under stress or they are anxious or they they need some time off to recuperate and relax and also we see that in kaliyuga so much this is going on and mostly that is because of this <clears throat> that's because of the phone and all that you know things which are so easily available on the phone so this is the nature and the state of uh, grahasthas in kaliyuga where actually i you know they call the grahmetis who are all just engaged in this particular activity of technological advancement and that is what shrila prabhupada is stressing over here what activity should grahasthas engage in and whether whichever ashram you are in you should just be focused on the goal which is you know achieving the supreme personality of godhead So today is also Varaha Dwadashi. It is the appearance day of Lord Varaha Dev, for whom we did fasting yesterday. So we'll spend the next few minutes speaking about um, Lord Varaha Dev. So there is a beautiful song which um, Jayadev Goswami has composed. Um, obviously, he's composed the whole Gita Govinda, and within the Gita Govinda, there is a beautiful song which is called as the Dashavatar Stotram. It is also called as um, Pralaya Prayodhi Jalejong song. And in that particular song, in the third verse. um jaydev goswami is glorifying varaha dev very beautifully so he is saying vasati dashani shikhare dharani tavalagna shashini kalanka kalaivani nimagna keshavadrita shukar roopa jay jagadish hare so he is saying all glories to lord keshava who appeared as a boar shukara shukara means a boar the earth was held between his tusks which appeared like scars on the moon that is how the lord was appearing because his tusks were white the earth was there on his uh, tusks and he was appearing so beautiful just as the scars on the moon actually increase the beauty of the moon so this is a beautiful verse which describes the appearance of lord varaha dev by um, jaydev goswami now if we see there are you know beautiful descriptions of the incarnations of lord especially in the third canto of shrimad bhagavatam between the conversation of maitreya muni and vidura and shila prabhupad many times stresses that one should systematically study the shrimad bhagavatam and not directly jump to the 10th canto so it is very important that one first study systematically the bhagavad gita to at least understand who we are we are not the body we are the spirit soul to understand you know different types of yoga ladders what is human life meant for first study the bhagavad gita in detail and then only one should approach the shrimad bhagavatam and that to the one should approach the shrimad bhagavatam in sequence one should go through the first nine cantos before one can plunge into the uh, activities the pastimes and leelas of lord krishna in the 10th should not from jump straight away and try to relish prematurely the pastimes of radha and krishna or krishna with his cowherd friends and all that otherwise one will have a tendency to fall down because with our lusty desires if we actually try to study those pastimes they are just going to increase the lust in people so prabhupada talks about systematic study of the shrimad bhagavatam and for we see bhagavatam is also a very gradual progression we see that first your creation is described secondary creation is described. and through this creation we see the intricate details being described of how this whole universe comes primary creation happens and then you know how brahma creates the secondary creation and that all gives us a glimpse of 
how huge and how um, you know glorious the Lord is that who can create all these beautiful things so in great detail all these things are described and then the description is there of the various incarnations of the Lord and in the third canto Maitreya Muni is giving a little synopsis about the different incarnations of the Lord where in the 14th and the 18th chapter he describes Lord Varahadev's appearance very beautifully so it is described over here that um, he says Maitreya Muni obviously Vidurva is asking lots of questions to Maitreya Muni and Maitreya Muni in response is describing about um, the incarnation of Varahadev now Varahadev Maitreya Muni actually coupled up because he was describing in brief the incarnations of the various incarnations so he coupled up both the incarnations but actually Lord Varahadev appeared in two incarnations he appeared in Chakshusha Manvantara and he appeared in the Man, uh, Swayambhu Manvantara these are the two Manvantaras he appeared in now in the Swayambhu Manvantara he appeared as Shweta Varaha Shvetarvara was the white boar form and he wanted to actually assist Swayambhuva Manu in uh, populating the universe which was the duty and the order which his father Brahma had given to uh, Swayambhuva Manu and Varahade wanted to assist him so we'll go into the pastime in detail but Varahade wanted to assist him in that particular duty and Swayambhuva Manu when actually realizes that the earth has been plunged it's, it's you know gone down into the ocean you know Varahadev appears from Brahma and then Varahadev goes and rescues Mother Earth and puts her back in orbit from, from you know digging her out from the bottom of the Garbhodaka ocean and then there is another description where actually Varahadev appeared in Chakshusha Manvantara and during Chakshusha Manvantara Varahadev appeared as Rakta Varaha or Neela Varaha and during that appearance he actually fought the demon Hiranyaksha because if you see go back in time Swayambhuva Manu had come from Lord Brahma when during the beginning of creation so that time there were no demons yet generated you know this whole pastime of Jai Vijay coming down as uh, all the demons that had still not started happening so that time the earth had just plunged into the ocean and he brings it back but during the Chakshusha Manvantara he, the demon Hiranyaksha had actually taken it down and then Lord uh, Varahadev appears and he goes and uh, rescues Mother Earth and then he has a fight with Hiranyaksha and kills him. So just going into the uh, pastime a little bit in detail. So when actually Swayambhuva Manu, obviously Bra Lord Brahma had the, in the third canto again, Vidura, uh, Maitreya Muni is describing to Vidura how Lord Brahma was now doing the secondary creation. So he describes the creation of the four Kumaras who are not ready to do any progeny at all and help Brahma in populating the universe and how Lord Brahma gets very angry with them actually. And then Lord uh, uh, Rudra appears from Lord Brahma. And then he also starts devastating everything and Brahma has to tell him that you are prematurely devastating. Now is the time for creation. You go and do penance. And when it's your time to do devastation, that time I'll call you back. And then he's contemplating that how do I still make this population like you know progeny so then the ten sons appear who are the Prajapatis Narad Muni also appears and after that they help him in population but still Brahma is not satisfied so after that when he's thinking like that from his deliberation Swayambhuvanu and his wife Shatarupa appear and once they appear they actually you know Swayambhuvanu was a very obedient son and in fact there there are lots of instructions on how a son should be obedient and follow the instructions of his father so he actually goes to Lord Brahma <coughs> and he says that you have brought me in this world now please explain to me my duty what is what is your order on me and how can I serve you that is the question he asks 
you wish all sons would ask like that in Krasta Ashram to their parents, isn't it? But yeah, Swayambhuva Manu is setting that example for all um, uh, sons to follow that, you know, he's asking, Lord Brahma, what, what should I do to serve you? And then Lord Brahma gives him the instruction to create progeny, to populate the universe because that was the time when the universe was getting created and all the planets had to be populated. So Swayambhuva Manu actually does that. He unites with his wife uh, Shatarupa and he's actually in the, engaged in the process of populating the universe. But when he looks down, he sees that Mother Earth is missing from the orbit and Mother Earth has actually plunged down at the bottom of the Garbhodaka ocean. So then he goes and expresses to Lord Brahma. He says that, are you, you are telling me to do your duty, but earth planet is like the main planet of all activities, where living beings do all their activities, that is the residential place for most living beings, and that is missing. So how do I do my duty, my father? So Lord Brahma actually thinks that what a calamity has happened. I'm trying to procreate, first I get sons who are not ready to procreate or who start devastating and now one son is ready to procreate but you know earth has been plunged into the Garbhodaka ocean. So then he's sitting and meditating and again one more like you know Swayambhuva Manu was setting an example of an ideal son, Lord Brahma is giving us an, uh, the example of an ideal um, uh, sadhaka that whenever there's a calamity, whenever there's any difficulty, you take shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And that's what Lord Brahma does. He doesn't try to endeavor, okay, now I'm going to go and search for this earth, where is she gone? Or let me gather my sons and we will all go and look for earth. No. He just sits down and he starts meditating on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And while he's meditating on the Supreme Personality of Godhead, praying to him for a solution for this calamity which has befallen on, in, on the universe during the early stages of creation, then Suddenly there is a small bore which comes out of his nostril and that bore is no bigger than the size of one's thumb. So just this much, he comes out from the nostril and once he comes out from the nostril, he starts growing big. He becomes very gigantic, he starts growing in size and it is said that he covers many, 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 many planets. He, so the whole sky was covered, very nice description is there in the third canto. So the whole sky was covered by uh, the boar and that time Brahma is thinking, he is thinking that, oh, who is this? He still doesn't know that this is the Supreme Lord who is, because it's a very different form of the Supreme Lord. He never expected like a boar will come out from his nose, from his nostril. So he's wondering who is this person who has come out and now he's assumed this gigantic form. And even all the residents of other higher planetary systems are gazing upon this this different species which has come out in wonder and amazement and you know wondering who that is. So then Lord Varahadev realizes this predicament of Brahma and all the other residents of Janaloka, Tapaloka and all and he gives a huge roar. And Prabhupada describes like in the purports over there in the third canto that you know mountains like every living entity has a roar and voice according to their size. So even mountains he says are sentient beings and they also have their own roar their sound and in the same way Varadev was so huge and he gave a huge roar at that time and it is said that obviously that roar was very pleasing to the devotees but it created terror amongst all the demons and all the other you know atheists and people who were against the supreme lord and just through that roar he actually you know made that realization dawn on Brahma and all the others uh, all the other sages who were looking on him with amazement that he is definitely indeed the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And once they have that realization, they all start offering beautiful prayers 
to the Lord. And again, you know, big description is there about the prayers that they offer. Now, just to get an idea of the size of Varahadev, it is said that his pore, the pore from which hairs would come out, obviously of the boar uh, on his body, the size of the pore was so big that all the oceans of the universe, if you fill the pore with those oceans, it would still not overflow. So you can imagine the size of Varahadev, what size he had appeared. And thankfully, you know, the Lord is appearing in the deity form, in a form which we can worship, in a little form which we can dress and we can do everything with the deity form. Otherwise, if you have to, you know, imagine and, you know, think about Lord Varahadev, it is so difficult to dress that Lord and, you know, to do any sort of worship because he's so gigantic. So once he rose and all the residents of uh, the various upper planetary systems offer their prayers, the Lord Varahadev then goes down. He, he knows, like, you know, what is Lord Brahma's predicament. He knows that Swayambhuva Manu is trying to help his father procreate the universe and he also wants to then serve Swayambhuva Manu. So he actually goes down and he sees that Mother Earth is at the, lying at the bottom of Garbhodaka Ocean. Now we know he has taken this particular form, Shukara Rup it's called. Shukara means one who uh, digs out things by smelling. And if we see, you know, pigs, like we don't see pigs around here unless you go to a farm or something like that. But in India, we see a lot of pigs around, especially in like little towns and villages, you see them around. And we see they are always sniffing, sniffing, sniffing and trying to get things from the dirt and all and trying to dig things out for their food. So when the Lord appears, he also completely plays the part of that role. In fact, there was, um, you know, I was listening to a class by uh, His Holiness Bhakti Brihad Bhagavat Swami. And he was saying that Srila Prabhupada, like, you know, when talking about Varahadev, he gives the example of the British Prime Minister. So I think the British Prime Minister's name was Gladstone. And there was a very important visitor who had actually, he was a dignitary and he had booked an appointment. And he goes to visit the Prime Minister during that appointment. He has a meeting with him and the Prime Minister's secretary actually tells him that no, no, wait, the Prime Minister is engaged in some important activity. And you know, this person is waiting. He was feeling a bit offended that why I have to wait when I have actually booked an appointment and this was the time of our meeting. But he just waits patiently and almost half an hour, 45 minutes have passed and still the Prime Minister has not to honor the time of the meeting. So the secretary a little bit here and there and that time he decides to open the office door slightly and peep inside to see like what is this that the Prime Minister is engaged in, in that he is not giving time to an important dignitary like me with whom he actually fixed a meeting. So he opens the door and that time he finds the Prime Minister on all his fours and his grandson is sitting on top of him and the Prime Minister has become a horse for the grandson and the grandson is saying giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up like that the grandson is saying and Prime Minister is going here and there in his office on his force. And he could see that the Prime Minister is relishing that particular, uh, uh, you know, activity with his grandson so much. The grandson was happy, but it's not that the Prime Minister was saying, oh, when will this activity get over? He himself was completely absorbed in becoming a horse for his grandson and he was enjoying that activity, doing that particular pastime with his um, grandson. So Prabhupada often quotes this example when he quotes about uh, the Lord, Lord Krishna taking these various incarnations, whether it's Matsya, Kurma, Varaha or all other incarnations. He says that when the Lord comes in these particular incarnations, he plays that part fully and he relishes every aspect of that part which he plays, but that does not lessen his position as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
So when Lord Varahadeva appears and you know, when atheists and uh, the non-believers, they become very bewildered. And they actually try to sway the believers away, saying that how can you know the Lord appear in a boar? Obviously this is some Mayavi. How can the Lord, you know, the Lord has a transcendental form. How can he appear this, in, this, this, in this particular abominable form? But <clears throat> like, that is why this example was given by Srila Prabhupada of the Prime Minister and the horse. So when, even though he is playing as a horse with his grandson, his position as the Prime Minister is absolutely not lessened. And he is relishing that particular role also very much. So Lord Varahadeva also in the complete mood of relishing that particular incarnation, that body which he had assumed, he also was starting to sniff out with his snout. He was sniffing out, you know, the Mother Earth in the Garboda, the bottom of the Garbodaka ocean and he finds her and he is carrying her on his tusks to place her back in orbit. Now this is when Hiranyaksha had already appeared and Hiranyaksha was looking around here and there for a worthy opponent to fight because he had that itch to fight. And we already know the pastime from, you know, earlier cantos that how Jai and Vijay were cursed by the four Kumaras to become all these demons and they appear as Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu. And, you know, the Lord had actually given them this demon form, it's described there, because the Lord wanted to fight. He got a desire to fight and he wanted a worthy opponent with whom he, who he can fight. Who can be a worthy opponent other than the Lord's devotees himself? So he makes them take this demon form so that he can have that fight and less chivalrous, chivalrous rasa with them. So this Hiranyaksha in the mood of that particular uh, fighting is looking for a worthy opponent. So it's described actually, he goes to, the, um, to Indra's place. He knows that Indra is the king of the demigods and he tries to ask him for a fight. But Indra has long ago waited. As soon as he saw Varadev coming, he had run, sorry, he, as soon as he saw Hiranyaksha coming, he had run away from there. And then he also goes to the different demigods, but every demigod had just run away and their palace was vacant. Nobody was there. So then he thinks, okay, whom can I fight with? So he goes down to Varunadev because he was in the ocean and he goes down to Varunadev. And Varunadev says, Varunadev says that this is such an egoistic person who thinks that, you know, nobody is worthy to fight with him. So Varunadev says that I have actually become an old man, but you please fight the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He has come in the ocean to save Mother Earth and you go and fight with him. So Hiranyaksha is then looking out for the Supreme Lord and he sees him in the form of this boar. So Hiranyaksha started, starts hurtling abuses at the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He calls him first of all an oh, an amphibious beast, he calls him. And then he also calls him a rascal. He says that do you have, you know he was hurtling all these abuses and it is described that Lord Varahadeva was actually pained by these abuses. So even though he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he is still a sentient person and if somebody is you know, doing these abuses, hurling, hurling these abuses at him, he was actually feeling that pain. That someone's hurting me, like they should not speak to me like that, just as we feel pain when someone speaks insultingly with us. So like that Lord Varahadeva was feeling the pain, but he still stayed focused because he saw that the earth on his tusk was actually trembling in fear because Hiranyaksha was like, you know, circling around and trying to overpower the Lord. So he realizes that my first duty is to keep Mother Earth safe and only then I will deal with this person. So he exhibits his quality of renunciation over there. And he just does not react or respond to Hiranyaksha, but he just focuses on his duty and keeps Mother Earth back in its orbit. 
and then he comes down and while he is doing that also Hiranyaksha is you know giving him uh, uh, insulting words. He is saying you shameless creature even though I am saying all this to you you are just going up and up you are not even realizing that I am here to uh, you know crush you down with my mace as my arms will encircle you you are going to fall to your fate and die a very ruthless death. So even then he keeps saying but Lord Varaha Dev just keeps the mother earth back safely on the orbit and then he starts fighting with Hiranyaksha. Again beautiful description of the details of the fight are given of how they both are fighting. Like they both fight with you know they, they are fighting with their maces then they are fighting with their spears, they are fighting, they are doing lots of arm wrestling and both their bodies, Hiranyaksha's body and Lord Varaha Dev's body is smeared with blood. And the Lord is actually enjoying this fight because that is why he has made Jai and Vijay into these demons. So Lord is also enjoying this fly fight. You know the fight is continuously continuing and all the demigods are actually watching from behind the clouds. And it's described that usually these demigods, you know, because they are always worried about their own sense gratification of their palace, their position being secure as a demigod and you know nobody should you know take away my position or take you know trouble me during my power, power and reign over various planets. So they are walking, uh, watching like hiding and watching because they don't want Hiranyaksha to realize that they are cheer, they want to cheer the Lord. They don't want to realize because what if the Lord uh, loses then they are gone. <coughs> Even during the fight between Hiranyakashipu and Narsimadev, it is described that all the demigods were watching from the sky when they both were fighting and they were actually wanting to cheer but they were cheering hiding behind so that Hiranyakashipu doesn't see them. Because Hiranyakashipu also like during the fight also he was looking up to see who all are cheering this Vishnu who has come in the form of this half man half lion because he had already made lives miserable for all these um, Devatas. You know, it was said that he used to raise his eyebrow and the Indra had to pour rain. Somebody was carrying his shoes. One of the demigods was engaged in carrying his shoes for him. So, that menial tasks he used to make these demigods do. And therefore, they were very afraid to show their allegiance with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Because what if the Lord does not fail, you know, succeed in uh, overpowering Hiranyakashipu? Then they are gone that, oh, y'all were siding with the Supreme Lord. So that is how the during Hiranyaksha Varadev fight also the demigods are responding. They are watching a little bit fearfully and because of that you know deep sense gratification they, their faith is also still a bit shaken. So they don't have that full faith that oh it's the supreme lord he is definitely going to win. And then Lord Brahma actually you know is requesting the Lord that my Lord don't keep playing with Varahadev it is frightening all the creatures of the universe you please finish him off quickly. So Hiranyaksha, you know, after a long flight, Hiranyaksha is trying to, he also does lots of illusions. Like he creates darkness and he creates, you know, different, different demons who are roaring down and pouring things on the Lord. And also there is blood, pus, stool, urine, everything that is pouring down on the Lord. So he, all these illusions are being created and he's hurtling his powerful mace, but with his Sudarshan Chakra, the Lord is cutting down that mace to so all these you know different um, fights are going on between the Lord and Hiranyaksha and then Hiranyaksha comes to he thinks okay none of my illusory tricks or my weapons are working I will crush the Lord with my arms. So he goes because he had huge powerful arms and he goes and tries to crush the Lord with his arms and that time again Lord Brahma implores 
to uh, Varadev that, you know, my Lord, you please finish him off. Like, don't, don't prolong this fight for so long. So then, you know, just with a little bit of a slap of, like, you know, touch of his hand behind the ear of uh, Hiranyaksha, Lord Varahadev completely finishes him off. So just with a touch of his hand behind the ear, ear Hiranyaksha falls down completely dead on the floor like a, like a rod. Now, if the Lord wanted, we know he's, he's the most powerful, he could actually kill Hiranyaksha just with his thought. And you know, we know how Lord Balram killed uh, Romaharshana Sutta just with a little bit of blade of grass. So like that, we know what power the Lord has. But just to engage in that chivalrous rasa and to give pleasure so that later on we all, you know, get pleasure of, from describing the Lord's activities and this describing this fight between the Lord and Hiranyaksha, the Lord engages in this particular activity. So he ultimately kills Hiranyaksha and all the, you know, planetary, all the residents of the planetary systems are extremely happy to see that and they shower flowers, they are blowing kettle drums. Now they can safely come out and tell, we are with you Lord and we are cheering for you. So that's what the demigods and all the residents of the upper planetary systems do. And Lord Varahadev, you know, it is said that he actually shakes his body when he comes out of the ocean. And generally when a pig shakes its body, people would run away with all the filth that would fall in them. But the droplets of water that fall on all the residents who get, you know, that uh, water from the Lord's body, they consider themselves very fortunate because it's the Charnamrit of the Lord. It has touched the body of the Lord and it was very purifying for all these residents. In fact, when Lord Brahma, it is also described that Varahadeva is actually an incarnation of the Vedas. He is non-different from the Vedas. Because when Lord Brahma is breathing, so the breath of Lord Krishna is the Vedas, it is said. And Brahma, when Brahma breathes in this breath, and when, you know, he breathes out, he exhales. We know how the Vedas have appeared through the mouth. And when he exhales through this nostril and Varahadeva appears. So he is also called as personified Vedas. And that is how he was glorified by all the residents once he accomplishes the task of killing Hiranyaksha. And once he has pleased everyone, he has satisfied all of them, he has put mother back in her orbit so that Swayambhuva Manu has a place where he can actually procreate and send living beings to live, he goes back to the spiritual world. Now there is a beautiful pastime about Lord Varahadev in Chaitanya Charitramrita. So once when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was walking by, and we'll finish the class with this pastime, uh, he hears, you know, a very big uh, chance of glorification from Murari Gupta's house. And when he hears that, he actually rushes, because Murari Gupta was a very dear devotee of the Lord. So he rushes into the house, and Murari Gupta was singing songs in glorification of the Lord, and he was also singing songs in glorification of these, you know, avatars of the Lord and Lord Varahadev. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu rushes into the house of Murari Gupta and he actually assumes that form of Varahadev. And then he tells Murari Gupta, Murari Gupta, now you worship me. I've taken this form which you are glorifying. Now you are, and it was a beautiful form with the tusk, with, you know, the earth. And there was actually a little pot in Murari Gupta's house, a water pot in his house. So in the form, getting into that form completely, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the form of Varahadev then actually lifts that uh, pot on his tusks. And he's telling Murari Gupta that now you behold my darshan and you say, give me, you know, say prayers in my glorification. And then Murari Gupta is falling down at the feet of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the form of the bow. And he's saying, my Lord, who can praise you? Nobody has words. Like even if Ananta Sesh with his countless mouths sits down and sits down to praise you, he will not finish your glorification. Because your glories are so unlimited. So I can just do, you know, do my part of saying whatever I have to 
for the purification of my own tongue and my own mouth. So that is also, you know, a beautiful pastime which happens in Chaitanya Charitramrita where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu assumes this bore form. So we'll end the class over here. It's time up and we'll see if there are any, anyone wants to add anything, any realizations or any comments, corrections or questions. Hare Krishna Mataji, thank you for the nice class. Mataji, you mentioned in the first 25 years of a person, they need to take the training of a brahmachari and then they can decide what they want to do next. So Mataji, I'd like to ask, where is this training supposed to take place? Is it like we should stay in the temple or can we do it at home where everyone is Krishna conscious? So ideally, this is first of all for men, like girls should be trained under their, you know, mother in the different arts of cooking, like, you know, different activities which will make her a nice uh, grahini. Um, but this is more for men, the brahmachari training is more for men. So obviously, ideally, and you know, Prabhupada says in this purport that, that we read, that the aim of the ISKCON society, the Krishna consciousness movement is to create a Daivi Varnashram system where, the, you know, all these training facilities are available and we see in all the temples of ISKCON there is this facility available where people can join as a brahmachari, stay in the brahmachari ashram and get trained. And people who don't get trained, you know, like Kesho Prabhu was mentioning so nicely in his class yesterday. He was saying that somebody had come to get initiation in the early days from Srila Prabhupada and um, I think the temple president asked him that, have you stayed in the Brahmachari And he said, no, I've just joined the movement. So he said, okay, for six months you come for Mangla Arati and uh, Evening Arati every day and then we'll give you initiation. So you can get that training, intensify and get that training even later on. But Srila Prabhupada says, because the first 25 years of life are the formative years when the senses are getting... Um, uh, the senses are getting aroused, you know, hormonal changes are happening and that time if, you know, the, uh, especially men are able to keep control over their senses and are able to channelize their energy into worshipping the Supreme Personality of Godhead, that will hold them in good stead in their grahastha life and later on help them to become manapasthas and sannyasis. So ideally, yes, ISKCON is providing that particular facility for everyone who aims, claim, like who would like to follow this particular path of practicing brahmacharya for some years we do have that facility but if we don't have even at home it can be practiced if they have a krishna conscious family even at home they can practice that and then they can decide they can go and join the ashram if they have so like you know Prabhupada says grahastha ashram brahmacharya ashram is the fast way to go back to godhead like we gave the example of going to sydney and straight away reaching sydney in you know one drive itself in eight hours or whatever so that is a fast way to go because you are able to control your senses you don't have to take, to, to take any exits for sense gratification so that is the fast way to exit and therefore yes even at home if you practice that and you know then join the brahmachari ashram if you want to and stay lifelong brahmachari so both both are okay but iskon does provide that facility for people to join if they want to and also, Mati, I'd like to comment. In my school, I was talking to one of my friends. She was in my class. And we were just talking about like a daily routine. So she told me that she wakes up very early, like at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I asked her, why do you wake up so early? She's like, I have to cook for myself, my parents, because my parents, as soon as they wake up, they go and uh, in the bathroom, take a bath, come out. And as soon as they come out, they need to get on their laptops and start working. So I was like, wow. Some, and then some parents are like that. They can't even cook for their children. Yeah. But so it's glorious. So that girl is really glorious. In year seven, she's cooking and all that. So very good. Very nice.
Thank you, Mataji. Hare Krishna. Any other questions or comments? In the last line, say one should not engage oneself in ugra karma. So, what how what does it mean, ugra karma? Like hankering for money? So, we we discussed it in the class uh, before. But um, so, ugra karma, Prabhupada is defining ugra karma as technological advancement in the purport. <coughs> And Prabhupada is talking about, mainly Prabhupada is talking about not over endeavoring to make ends meet, over endeavoring to make money. So, most of the people nowadays, if you see directly or indirectly, they are engaged in technological advancement, if you see. And Prabhupada calls that itself as Ugra Karma. And Prabhupada defines what actually Brahmana Grahastas should be engaged in. But it's Kali Yuga, everything is complicated, we know it's very difficult. But at least we can take the principle, like whatever we are engaged in, we don't over endeavor and we keep our life simple if our needs are simple then we will not need the uh, we will not have the need to accumulate so much bank balance so that you know we will be able to like then live comfortably when we retire so that particular need won't be there if we are we have led a simple life actually there's a very beautiful lecture very recently um, anand vrindavan prabhu has given like he's a, uh, a famous speaker from mumbai um, and he's talking about like financial planning so he was telling, like even he full life he never had a car. He says that it's always like living in a city like Mumbai, he never uh, invested in a car. He said just Uber and Ola. Like, you know, because he was cal giving financial calculation on why even a car is a depreciating asset. Don't have a car if you can manage without a car. And like that, you know, keeping life simple, traveling, he has always traveled by second class when he goes even for yatras and all that. So keeping life simple so that you don't have so many needs such that you have need to accumulate money. And that is the principle which Srila Prabhupada is telling Rahastas to apply, especially in Kali Yuga when things are complicated and mostly people are engaged in IT or related fields. How we think about the kids because mostly of course we can control ourselves. So we saying we collecting and what are we doing for the kids. So how we can uh, balance in that thing because your mind is not helping you. You can stop yourself. From using technology yeah, I think? Yeah. Okay. And for the kids like if they want something you say, oh, because he got this one of course we can't say no all the time too. So somehow those things attacked you as well. So you have to involve. Very, in very true, Prabhuji. So right now, like I said, in Kaliuga, it's very difficult. There's a lot of peer pressure everywhere. You see, everybody is using different gadgets and devices and all that. So um, it is hard, especially to control, and especially in schools. Like our kids, if the kids are going to normal schools, then their studies also happen on iPads and all that. So obviously, you can't deny giving those things to them. Um, I feel that, you know, one of the answers is, you know, probably at least in the young age homeschooling, where you are not sending the child and exposing them to all these different, different aspects of, especially in a Western civilization, going to a normal school and getting exposed to so many temptations which come their way. Uh, keeping them, you know, within the homeschooling, within other devotee community. But however, if that has not been possible, at least trying to keep them very grounded, like keep a very devotional atmosphere. In fact, I was listening to a class again yesterday and, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, actually Lord Varahadev is telling later on, you know, uh, he gives darshan to a devotee called Vasudev who was praying in Navadvip Dham in Satya Yuga. He used to worship Varahadev. And Varahadev says later on, you are in a very holy place. I'm going to appear later on as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this particular place. And that time, you know, he's telling him 
that uh, very it is you know just by I, I don't like any devotees being blasphemed at all and I'm very very uh, I take very severe action against people who actually blaspheme my devotees or hurt my devotees and that time he's saying he's saying that with my union with mother earth because when he touched mother earth obviously they had a son called Naraka and he was actually a very pious person he was very religious he was following all the tenets of dharma but because of his association with king vena he became completely uh, degraded and then obviously we know the past time of narakasur and the lord had to actually go and kill narakasur <coughs> so he said i don't spare my own son also and over there in the lecture then you know the, the person was saying that this is the power of association like that is why especially as grahasthas we have to protect our children from bad association we have to like create a shield around them or even if they are getting exposed to all these things in schools or wherever they go to we increase their good association so much that it nullifies the effects of whatever association they've had outside and keep them very actively engaged in different different activities of krishna consciousness so that they don't have much time so like we do we might have to offer these things but keep it very regulated like Prabhupada says regulators and gratification grahasthas same applies for children keep it regulated keep some time limits on using technology like that's the best parents can do if we have sent them to normal schools thank you Mataji. any other questions or okay we'll end the class here Granthraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki Srila Prabhupada ki Jai Nitai Gaur Premanande Parijanasa 
Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Hare. 